guess I'll get uh, going since time is short. Um, good morning, everyone. I'm happy to have a, a great uh, panel of bankers uh, this morning. Uh, we have Mr. Evan Cohen, who's Managing Director and Group Head of Maritime Finance at CIT. Uh, Michael Parker, who's Chairman, Global Shipping, Logistics, and Offshore at City. Jack Xu, Deputy uh, Head of Shipping Finance uh, at uh, China Merchant Bank Financial Leasing. And Evan Ulick, uh, Head of Ocean Industries, North America at DMB. I thought we'd break this uh, panel discussion into a couple parts. We'd start with the state of banks, talk about the effect of, of bank regulations, capital requirements on, on uh, banks. And, touch on the Poseidon principles with, and see what kind of effect they're going to have on banking, uh, ship finance going forward. And then talk a little bit about uh, sanctions and tariffs and their effect on the banking world. And then finally, an assessment of the future. So I'd like to begin <clears throat> asking the perennial question uh, in recent years. Uh, as everybody knows, the ship, uh, shipping uh, banks have been retreating um, and we're down to, frankly, this is now a high percentage of shipping banks. <laughs> it didn't used to be the case, but now we have quite a large percentage of them on one panel. Um, so I, my first question is to the, to the panel is, do we believe this trend is going to continue, or have we hit the bottom? And if we've hit the bottom, do you believe that there'll be new bank entrants that'll come back, uh, or new entrants or banks that'll come back, and uh, what will it take, take for banks to come back to shipping? Evan, you're first in line, so I thought I'd start with you. Okay. I don't know if this, yeah, it is on. Uh, are we at the bottom? You can't ever call a bottom, but we're probably closer to the bottom than the top. Um, so a lot of names have left. Colmerts, Lloyds, RBS, a lot of names headed for the door. NordLB, HSH, although they're rebranding themselves. Uh, unfortunately, some now headed for the door. DVB, um, so closer to the bottom than the top. And do you think uh, any will come back, or is that? Not for a while. Okay. Michael, do you think uh, there'll be new entrants in the future, or do you disagree with what Evan had to say? Uh, <clears throat> I think there will, because I think, and I said this at this event in Singapore in March, I think we're in limbo, and we're still in limbo, because there are lots of different forces at work, <clears throat> the regulators, I know you've got a question maybe on this later, but the regulators in Europe are still, still re regard shipping as a dirty word. And then you've got the impact of negative interest rates on banks overall, so you've got the whole question of you know, what businesses make sense for banks to do. The environmental issue, I think, is going to be playing a much bigger part in this because, of course, the issue is what ships will be ordered and therefore <clears throat> what sort of portfolios will banks have. And that, in a way, is helping create this limbo because banks are probably reluctant to expand their portfolios in a way, as was referred to on the previous panel, in, in financing ships that may have a much shorter life than, than we've seen before. I think the question is going to be one of if you get this tightness of supply, trade continues to grow and there isn't growth in the world fleet and, and beyond the spike we've seen in the tanker market, but there's a more general recovery in freight rates next year, then of course that will help lower leverage. It may bring back a, a more benign environment for banks either to come in or the existing banks to have the confidence to continue to grow. So. I agree with Evan. I'm not sure there is really a bottom, but I think that 
because of all the other uncertainties, I would not expect many other banks to sort of suddenly come back in until there is a much more stable environment. And Jack, I'm trying to avoid going down the road, but I'm going to do it now because I think it's appropriate to ask you, from your perspective as a Chinese bank, how, how do you view uh, this market and, and uh, it, whether it's going to uh, continue to reduce the number of shipping banks? Yeah, I think uh, for Chinese lessos, I are uh, deemed as uh, newcomers for shipping finance. Uh, always uh, uh, people think, uh, shipowners think uh, um, Chinese lessos are the alternative for finance resources. So we think currently the, the asset value quite, uh, um, I think is, uh, is close to, uh, the fair market value is close to historic uh, low level. So it's good timing for investing in uh, shipping assets. Uh, that's why our Chinese uh, leasing uh, companies uh, is uh, kind of booming for the portfolio size. Uh, I think, uh, yes, but shipping uh, finance always is a long-term business. We need to think about it from the long-term view, and uh, um, the finance uh, institutions are not the asset players. So we need to say um, if there's um, a stable cash flow attached for the project, of course we can uh, do our finance for the project. So uh, I think uh, for Chinese banks, Chinese institutions, so uh, the ship is, uh, is uh, in natural, so it's a good asset for access for, um, for the international overseas assets and dominates by US dollars and uh, with more liquid for, for, for the Chinese investors. That's my uh, view, thank you. Evan, I'm going to switch up a little bit and ask you um, uh, something I've been reading about in uh, various uh, uh, newspapers and the uh, trade periodicals. Um, I've read a number of articles where people are questioning whether bank finance and shipping mix, uh, and then some other commentators have indicated that shipping banks focus too much on publicly traded companies, and there's lots of private uh, companies that are, in, their, in the view of the author, are better run and hence uh, you know, better credit. Uh, do you have any views on that? I do. Um, let, let's take a 10-year view, right? Because I, I think that's a good starting point uh, for discussion. You've had, to, you've had to have a lot of grit and determination to stick it out for 10 years in this recent uh, uh, shipping and bank uh, finance environment. And I think the folks that are, are still around are grappling with the double headers of increased regulatory uh, pressures. And, and these are real pressures, and I won't bore people with them, but uh, both from a capital and from a compliance uh, challenges, these are real pressures. Um, but for the majority of these recent 10 years, you've had significant cash flow problems for borrowers. And in any given period, whether it was the kind of 15, 16 period for dry bulk or the 12 or 13 period for tank, you know, it was very hard to make a traditional shipping finance loan work from a break-even perspective. Mm. So. I actually feel uh, very enthusiastic about the time that we're in right now um, with the, the kind of emerging fundamentals uh, being very supportive of the industry overall. When it comes down to the question that you've asked with respect to public versus private companies, I would actually argue that some of the private Greeks are the recipients and some of the tightest uh, funding globally. Uh, so I do think actually that uh, there is very much a home for private companies to receive attractive forms of capital. Uh, however, if you go back to this kind of, you know, tactical retreat of many of the shipping uh, banks within the last 10 years, 
you know, you do a deal with Euronav, uh, or you do a deal with, you know, X private company with 10 ships, and you've got one or two deals to do a year, the choice is reasonably clear. Um, and I think that also uh, comes down to another kind of macro trend within this, uh, this market, which is, you know, how many different parts of the wallet can a financial institution touch, right? And I think just by definition, private companies have uh, a less availability of, of ways to pay their financial providers. And kind of working off that theme, uh, do you think that bank loans or, and at least finance deals are better than, uh, say, private equity uh, capital? I mean, how does, how does what, when you're talking to a potential customer, do they find that a bank finance deal is going to be more attractive to them than private equity? I have my own views on this, by the way, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I think private equity has been generally misunderstood within the, uh, the, the kind of shipping capital uh, environment. Um, if on the equity side, I don't really feel that private equity is truly understood the way that traditional ship owners' equity make money in this business, which is by being extremely patient, uh, really running at the 8 to 10% uh, unlevered IRRs for an extended period of time, and then being in the market when you get these super spikes of $300,000 VLCC rates per day. And I, I think that's really the secret that private equity never truly un understood in the whole reversion to the mean uh, trade that went on, and again, the 15-16 uh, period. From a debt financing perspective, uh, it just comes down to returns for the limited partners. Um, I've never felt that to achieve uh, kind of an 8 to 12% IRR from a cash-on-cash cash debt investment that a private equity fund is really rigged towards that. Uh, the, the, the day rates uh, within these past 10 years for maritime companies have not been conducive to returning that type of interest expense. Evan? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, working for a bank, not for a ship owner, but thinking about it from the ship owner point of view, all these hundreds of billions that left the market, if some of the owners have a choice and they get that nice luxury choice of equity or debt or how am I going to do it, yeah, there's not so many of you out there. So you think you, it's driven, the choice is sort of driven by their circumstances. You take what you can get in terms of financing and if you're lucky enough that, as Evan mentioned, the projects, the break-evens are so attractive and you can find this private equity short term and it can fund your project, fantastic, good for you. Uh, if you have access to the cheaper senior debt, also good for you. Um, yeah, so with all that, those banks we all talked about leaving the market, there is financing available. It's the choices that owners have that's reduced. Okay. Michael or, or Jack, do you want to add anything to that? Or? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think maybe uh, compared to uh, senior uh, loan uh, and uh, leasing and uh, private equity. I think the, the different uh, financial instruct, uh, um, permits is from a different perspective. So um, I think maybe leasing can cover all of the it's a different layers of finance. So we can provide maybe very high uh, leverage for the for the projects. So that means maybe we together with uh, with the banks, traditional banks, and also the uh, private equities and uh, can rebuild a very high um, uh, uh, leverage finance to the ship owners. So that's kind of, uh, sometimes we think uh, um, the return is not so bad. Because um, 
Yeah, uh, you know, uh, for many of uh, Chinese leasing houses uh, uh, do uh, shipping finance and uh, aviation uh, finance uh, at the same time. <coughs> but uh, when we compare the, the, the return of shipping finance to the aviation finance, you can see their margin return is much higher and it's less uh, competitive with uh, aviation finance. So it's difficult to say um, for shipping finance, the private equity service can, uh, it's, uh, cannot um, uh, get a high return or it's uh, too risky or or for, for, for other uh, investors. All right, thank you. Um, Can I? Uh, yes, go ahead. Well, what I really wanted, the reason I didn't want to answer that question, I think there's something, you know, that, that's in the past, if you like, and there are some good private equity investors who know what they're doing, but that's not going to move the needle in terms of refinancing the total re-engineering of the global fleet, and that is what's facing people. I think that's what people need to understand, that the whole of the world fleet is going to change. Decisions are going to be made in the next three to five years amongst other bodies like the IMO, but also <clears throat> the shipbuilders, the oil companies. The total re-engineering of the means of global trade is going to challenge uh, as well as be an opportunity for you know, financial markets. So the historical model of senior lending by banks, I think, will still be part of that. But actually, we're talking about something much bigger than any of us have seen before and in a much shorter time period. And you've heard touched on early this morning. But it, it really is going to change the way in which this industry is financed. And that will be a combination of different sources of finance. But the problem is there is a huge risk, if you like, because we're going to change the technology the role of different sectors in the industry in making that happen is also probably going to help underpin that. One of the big opportunities for the energy industry is to enable its transition to be seen in the context of financing the shipping industry. So I think there's going to be huge changes taking place in the next few years and that there will be business to be done as we prepare for that, but actually the future of shipping finance is going to look very different well, probably to what it's looked like in the last 30 years. Well, I'm going to skip on ahead then, following up on that note. Uh, I promise to come back to uh, capital requirements for banks. But uh, this seems like a good segue to the Poseidon principles uh, to me, because I think you're suggesting that banks are going to have to react to these changes in technology and regulations as to how ships operate. And it seems appropriate to turn to those principles. And I know that uh, City, uh, DNB, and others uh, were leaders in putting that together. Well, maybe if I just sort of make make a few comments on that, and then obviously Evan can 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 add. The, the Poseidon principles came out of work initiated by the Global Maritime Forum, and its work on decarbonisation, and it involved many parties, not just banks originally, many of the char many of the large charterers, looking at you know how finance could play a role in this. And where it ended up, if you like, was just banks being signatories so that the major capital providers to the industry could align our portfolios with the IMO's trajectory. So it is about emissions. It is not about anything else at this point, but it is a framework to which banks who are signatories can add other issues um, as they see fit in future. And a logical one will be recycling and scrapping. But it is about emissions targets. It's not about anything else at this point. So the various different technologies are all going to be part of you know, the broader, broader debate. 
And what banks are doing here is merely indicating the importance of taking climate change into consideration in their financing decisions. The work originated from the Task Force on Climate Dis Finance Disclosure, led by Bloomberg and Carney, and City, DNB, and SOCGen were the three shipping banks that were amongst the 16 banks that did that initial work and have published their results. That's why the three of us were the leading banks on this drafting committee. That task force on financial disclosure is now at the front of all banking regulators look at how what the financial community is doing to support governments in terms of addressing climate change. So we were, in a way, as a community ahead of everyone else and because shipping is outside of the national targets for emissions, we have that transparency, that global transparency, that enables us as banks to support the industry making that change. <clears throat> it's only three months since we actually right. launched the principles in a hotel around the corner from here, although it seems a lot longer than that. And the emissions will be for this year, i.e. the emissions for each ship this year, we will then count those early in 2020 and we will assess them against the vessel trajectories in order to come up with a weighted portfolio alignment to the IMO's trajectory. It's nothing more than that and it's taking transparent information. What is quite surprising is the number of ship owners who don't know about the IMO regulation requiring them to provide that information. It is not about anything else, so there have been comments that banks are introducing more tough climate covenants into their loan agreements. That may be true by individual lenders, but that is not about the Poseidon principles. The Poseidon principles are merely about moving uh, how portfolios align to the IMO's trajectories over time. And we use the equator principles, which were originated in 2003 around project finance, which just report project finance deals done in a single year. This is about how our portfolios move over time and align to the IMO's trajectory. So what we're doing as lenders is incorporating policies around the impact of climate change on the industry into our lending decisions. And yes, that will have an impact. But what I want to be very clear is that each lender, each signatory, will continue to make their own <coughs> credit decisions, their own risk decisions, and align, climate alignment will be one of them. There is no clearly no collusion or anything else between banks as to how they implement that alignment. And of course, the individual lending decisions, type of ships, type of technology, all those things will go into making up, if you like, the alignment of an individual bank's portfolio. The other key point is each bank will publish that alignment in their sustainability or citizenship or whatever other report they publish. It will be on the Poseidon Principles Association website. So it's transparent, and in that sense, each shipping bank will be uh, quizzed, no doubt, either by their senior management or, of course, by their shareholders as to why their portfolio is or isn't in alignment. The thing we know is the IMO is going to tighten those trajectories. And so that is the challenge, if you like, the decisions that banks are going to be making from now that we are making today will have an influence over that. And that's, if you like, the big change that's taken place. And, and so just to, to clarify, there's no, the, the borrower or, or guarantor uh, who's mortgaged their ship uh, for the loan isn't really facing a default if they don't meet trajectories. It's just a reporting requirement. So they shouldn't fear it. 
there's nothing to fear. The, the only covenant we've introduced at the request of the borrowers on the drafting committee was to have a standardized information covenant so that the way in which we gather the information is in a standard form and borrowers don't have to negotiate 10 different versions with 10 different lenders. If a bank individually chooses to apply that information with additional covenants, that is up to that individual lender. It's not part of the Poseidon principle. Evan, do you want to add anything? Or ask Jack and Well, Evan? I, I don't really want to steal Michael and my thunder. Uh, there's a 12 o'clock show up in the sure. library that's so going to be completely different, action-packed, and, and so I don't want to steal our thunder. But um, I think it was quite courageous uh, and proactive that the banks came together and did this. It, it's really about uh, measurement. Um, we've all tried to lose a few pounds. Easiest way to do it is to step onto the scale and measure from point A to point B. And in many respects, uh, we're trying to understand in a more quantitative uh, method the types of admissions that the industry uh, in totality is generating as measured through the prism of the maritime financiers' uh, vessel portfolios. And uh, this is all to get to a lower carbon future, uh, which I think is important for everyone. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting on the submissions, um, DNB Markets uh, recently issued, or was part of a group that issued um, a green bond for TK Offshore. And the, uh, the bonds were used to finance the most uh, modern, eco-friendly shuttle tankers in the world. And, and some of the numbers on these uh, shuttle tankers are startling. They're, they're using uh, LNG-powered technology. They have hybrid battery systems and it's a 47% reduction in CO2, uh, an 88% reduction in NOx, and almost 100% reduction in SOx. And, and to Michael's earlier point, uh, we have to reimagine what the ships of the future are gonna look like. And, and these ships, there are four of them, but this is a starting point out of the total global fleet that is going to act to lower uh, the emissions and, and hopefully uh, reduce the impact that uh, the climate change is having on the world. So they're sort of setting a precedent and a pattern to follow in the future. Evan, what do you, what is, what does CIT think of this? If you well, can speak officially. <laughs> I'm supposed to sign. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, no, we are in a fortunate position. So of course we're very supportive of the, the good work Michael and Evan have been doing. And where the fortunate position is as we restarted our ship lending business the past year, we're catching the, the moving train in a way. It is, you know, we're lending to owners that are now, let's be honest, taking economic <coughs> decisions. So we're helping them finance those scrubbers and other investments. We're financing newer ships, uh, the average portfolio age. So we're gonna progress that during the course of the year as, our, as we start our second year of business in this phase. Jack, do you see uh, do you see Chinese uh, banks and leasing companies joining this movement? Yeah, I, I think yeah. Of course, we think uh, all of the Chinese lessors and the banks are supportive to the persistent principles. And I think uh, yeah, we understand uh, uh, Michael uh, himself have already uh, presented the principle concepts and the details to our president and our management team. And uh, uh, first uh, half of this year, we have closed one deal with Citibank. So we, uh, so we have the opportunity to have a close look at the particular covenants clause. 
So I think this is very um, good for the, for the ship owners, for the industry, for the society. Um, so, you know, our, for bank industry, we have, we already have the, the equity principles is quite similar to our precedent principles. It's also uh, to uh, propose uh, the very green uh, finance for the, for the for society. So China's Bank always wanted to promote this kind of uh, very um, eco, very uh, environment-friendly green uh, finance for the projects. So we shall follow this uh, kind of trends, trend and say we, we, we are in discussing very seriously. So actually, uh, um, some of the Chinese lessors had some discussions in Beijing for this kind of, if how we uh, practice these pr principles, how we uh, join, uh, follow the Citibank and the DMB and others, how to uh, practice to, uh, how, how we uh, pass this me message to our clients. So we are very serious to consider these, these, these principles. Thank you. Um, I think if we're done with that, we'll move on to uh, a real current topic of international trade and sanctions, tariffs and sanctions. Um, as everyone's aware, there's been a, a, a trade war going on, and uh, uh, there's, of course, a host of uh, international sanctions that are being placed on uh, shipping that uh, visits Venezuela and Iran and others. Um, and I think I read in an article this morning that, uh, was it, 20% of the VLCCs are considered to be off limits because of uh, sanctions, I guess Costco's fleet. Um, how, how is how is how are these uh, trade sanctions and tariffs affecting uh, shipping banks? How, how do you how are you adjusting to them? Are you adjusting at all to them? Anybody? Well, I think it's just uh, it's it's a nightmare for your compliance people. I mean, it's we. We have, if we have borrowers who suddenly are sanctioned, then that creates all sorts of obvious legal requirements on us and on most <laughs> banks, if you're an American bank, and the sanctions from the US, obviously, in particular. So it doesn't, um, I'm not sure it dramatically changes any sort of business decisions because it's impacting really decisions you've Correct already made if, you, if those vessels are in your portfolio or the borrowers are your clients. So it's another thing to navigate and and of course it makes life more difficult the byproduct clearly is an unexpected bonus for the tanker market um, <clears throat> and who knows how long that will last but that is a, if you like a, a um, an unexpected tightening of supply if you like and so in that respect it's um, it's, it's probably a good thing for many ship owners but I, other than the compliance issue I'm not sure it has a huge impact on the way banks look at the business. I think it's very hard to be an active market participant in the maritime community and not have some type of Costco tangential uh, relationship. And uh, the word nightmare is very apt to describe some of the Trump administration's recent forays with slapping sanctions onto uh, these different global uh, active market participants. Um, you know, it. it you do not want to mess around with OFAC. Uh, that puts you on a naughty list uh, that can, can put a branch or a, or a bank really in a state of suspension. Uh, you do not want to mess around with OFAC. And um, when some of these different issues uh, arised, uh, I think it was September 25th or something like that, uh, this was an immediate compliance red alert situation internally. And uh, compliance, as many folks know, has been the one of the hottest sectors within uh, the banks. Uh, and uh, this was a, a real 
situation uh, for our, our, our customers uh, to deal with. Um, and again, what you've seen, and we'll stay away from politics here, is the Trump administration really using uh, sanctions as, as financial weapons against other countries. I mean, I think it was introduced this morning that targeted sanctions have been uh, put out against Turkey. And uh, it's just another example that we now have to do reviews of the portfolio uh, if there's any Turkey exposure as well. So these are very live issues. Um, you know, again, if we speak to the broader trends here, uh, 10, 15 years ago, you were really worrying about credit risks within the portfolio. Uh, now these risks have multiplied out of just sheer credit to compliance, sanctions, anti-money laundering, a whole plethora of other um, risks that have been introduced into traditional maritime finance. And so you're adding, and Evan, I'll let you go in a second, but you're adding that, that assessment to uh, uh, loan intake, I take it? Are you, are you beefing up, reviewing uh, potential customers for future non-compliance, if you can, or? I think it comes down to a holistic assessment of the borrowers and, and how cr uh, credible, uh, sustainable, and, and thoughtful these borrowers are. But it is more from a uh, just a kind of a, a credit assessment of the borrower to really a much more holistic assessment of the risks. Yeah, yeah Evan? Yeah, there's a few points there. So all the banks have to, uh, looking in retrospect, as Michael said, you ha all the banks have um, business on the books. So have you been keeping track of it? So knowing that, quickly knowing whether you're expo you're one of your clients is exposed is to a sanction is key. So that's the first step. So the good news is I'm, I see the banks starting with my own, knowing that very quickly and knowing it thoroughly. Then it's you know, how quickly you respond and how uh, the client is impacted. So if you don't have a direct exposure, the client itself may have other exposure, and then you're into the morass of all that reporting requirement. So, so far I've seen the banks responding quite efficiently to that. You don't always see that from, from banks, but in this case it works. And then you have to worry about whether your how badly your clients are going to be hurt and how does that affects their business and their ability to pay you back. Sure. Yeah. It becomes a credit it, it, it becomes a credit risk. So the KYC issue a bit that's the first that's the opening act but then it's the credit issue. Yeah. Yes, I fully agree with uh, Michael. Uh, it's a uh, light mail for compliance people. So uh, compared to before so for even for Chinese leasing company so you know we are, we are we are maybe uh, people know uh, Chinese leasing where you fit into for the for the project finance. But now we have a longer process for KYC for anti-money anti laundry process. So um, also uh, maybe some of the Chinese resource very uh, willing to uh, provide finance to our U uh, US or UK listed companies. That's because these companies is uh, much more transparent for, for their operations. So I think the geopoliticals have created a lot of uncertainty for the industry. So for saving finance, the compliance always is our bottom line. So we shall comply all of the regulations and can do keep dialogues with our clients to keep our all of the deals to uh, to follow all of the real reg, uh, regulations. And also sometimes maybe we have to are forced we are forced to sell some of uh, assets or projects. So it's, it's not uh, uh, complying with, uh, with uh, sanction clauses. 
So in the future, I think maybe it's created a lot of more jobs for us. Um, I think we're about to run out of time, but uh, I'd like to ask uh, the panel, what, what's their view of, of ship, you know, uh, bank finance for the shipping industry in the future? To sort of wrap up, what do we think it's going to look like uh, over, over the next couple of years? We sort of touched on it a little bit in our discussions, but sort of your, your summary, what's your, what's your forecast? Will, will increased banking capital requirements hurt you? Uh, are, there, are, we, are we done with uh, those types of capital uh, requirements? Uh, is, it, is it plateaued? Um, where do you think things are going to end up? Evan? Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the shipping lenders who are there will be there. Some will start to come back. Will you see in, in my career the next uh, wave of Hamburg-based banks putting out billions? I don't think so. Okay. But I think you're find, finding a natural equilibrium between the uh, Asian lenders, the existing lenders, the private equity that's out there, debt funds that are rising, combinations of those things. So there's money will be there. Okay. Everything will be green. A lot of stuff that says it's green now isn't really green. So it will be, I think the capital markets will play a huge role because the whole reindustrialization of shipping will be led ultimately through the capital markets because of the scale of it, because of the need for both the energy industry and the shipping industry to transition. And the more they transition hand in hand, the more financeable it becomes. And I think the role of banks as, as feeding that, if you like, as being part of the origination of that. And then I think capital markets will, will take over. And I think the other key thing, um, which we haven't touched on yet, is the you know Greta Thunberg generation, who want to know you know where it came from, how it was made, and how it was delivered, who financed it. <laughs> and who financed it. You know that is going to have a huge impact on on this industry, and different sectors of the industry will react differently to that. But I think let's not underestimate the importance of this industry and the opportunity this industry has to emerge from the shadows it likes to hide in and to get recognized for what it actually delivers for the global economy. And if it delivers it in a transparently and environmentally friendly way, that is a huge financial opportunity for the industry that makes it much more bankable. At that point, I think you'll see a lot more investment coming in, whether it's from public equity, private equity, debt capital markets, or whatever. It's probably five years out, but that will be the transformation. And banks will continue to have an important role. Thank you. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, more and more rules coming, uh, like uh, 2020, like uh, uh, president rules, like uh, the legal sanction clauses. So that's created a lot of uh, yeah, challenges to our ship owners to ship uh, shipping financial institutions. So, and also, um, there's a uh, little trend for, for the ship owners. Um, some of the lessors maybe uh, just uh, uh, directly place a little bit of orders by themselves and attached by the long-term charter from the commodity traders. So that's mean uh, uh, maybe um, the finance come from the, the commodity traders facilities. So this is not the traditional shipping finance, not a set set back to finance. So this is a new uh, transdency. We need to uh, uh, look for that. And also uh, the, the, the trade attention maybe created uh, different uh, uh, models for the shipping operations. Maybe there's a new uh, trade pattern, trading pattern coming. So there's a different port regulations, different uh, 
uh, ship designs. So that's why um, also I learned from this morning's pa uh, panel discussion. So very few uh, uh, ship owners wanted to uh, place new building orders because there's a big uncertainty for that. So there's a lot of, um, I think maybe some of the chaos for that. So we need to say uh, how to uh, find the solution for that. But uh, shipping finance institutions should just from take the wheel from long-term ship. So we, lo we cannot just judge uh, by one time or one point to say that a set is cannot accept a set is popular for that. So I think, uh, yeah, in long-term ship wheel, so we always wanted to uh, stay with the industry. They wanted to, to, to uh, partnership with the real ship owners to find the solution <coughs> to, uh, to obtain uh, uh, sustainable uh, growth in, for the industry. Thank you. Evan? You get the last word. Thank you. Uh, in as much as it may disappoint uh, many folks in this room, the era of eight-year, 80% sub-LIBOR plus 100 basis point money is, is probably concluded for now. And I think the shipping financiers of the future are going to be uh, more nimble, more short-term in their capital deployment and are gonna serve as more of financial intermediaries uh, to provide uh, institutional capital to the maritime industry. The way that borrowers, I think, get there is the borrowers need to generate, I, I think, cash flow, and, and free cash flow has been used a number of times, but there's just gotta be more cash flow coming out of these companies. There has to be sustainable net income. I think part of that is gonna come with a lower quantum of, of total debt on companies' balance sheets overall. And I think for uh, the equity market investors, you've got to have larger entities, you know, not just a billion, but two billion market capitalization entities that have much better share liquidity for folks to trade in and out of to create a more sustainable um, public market uh, for the companies to serve in. But, Make no mistake, I think the banks of the future will take more of a financial intermediary type of role. Interesting, thank you. Do we have time for, we're done? Okay, thank you. Uh, I wanna thank our excellent panel today. <laughs>